0: God, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your great grace in our lives. Oh, Father, these aren't just songs we sing. This is a life we live unto you. We act and live as if we believe every word that we sing, every word that we speak and preach and teach. We act and live as if we believe it because we do. The fullness is in you. All fullness is in you. So when you fill us up, you fill us up with you. And so therefore we are full because of you, not because we bring anything to the table. You brought it all to the table and you set the table by your grace and we're just recipients at your grace table. So thank you for what you've done. Save somebody today out of their sin from themselves so that they can find the hope that is found in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Wow, if I wasn't saved, I'd get saved. I'd do it during the music. It's good. Thank you so much for being here today. We're going to continue in the book of Ephesians. Yeah, you can give the Lord a hand. That's wonderful. It's beautiful. Beautiful music, the worship. The teaching is about him. If you're a guest with us today, we just want to say you're in a safe place because this is his place. This is where he is, and we pray that his presence would permeate your life. You are loved, you are valued, and you are cared for here. But God wants to do a great work in your life, and we've been kind of journeying through the book of Ephesians. We're still in chapter 2. We have covered uh, verses 1 through 10. So we're covering 11 through 18 today, and I want to title this uh, One New Man and One Church. One New Man and One Church. So we're going to talk about the unity of Christ and how he brings people who were once hostile to one another, and he harmonizes them by the Spirit and the power of God. And so we're in Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 18. One new man, one church. Now, Paul is going to turn a switch here. He's going to talk about the unity that we have. And you remember, he's talked about, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, he's talked about our vertical relationship with God through Christ. In fact, I tried to cover verses 1 through 10 just in one setting, and we decided, I decided, you didn't, I decided to break it into two parts. It's just too good to travel through these words too fast. So I was going to actually go to the end of the book this week, but there's no way I may not even get to the end this week of 18. It is so good. And what I want you to understand as we go through this book, you study this book with me. You go through this book and journey with me. So when we get to Sunday, hopefully there can be something that I say through the power of the Holy Spirit that you've already touched on that maybe God will say it in a different way so we're growing together in the oneness and truth of who he is and here's what Paul says he's talking about our vertical relationship with God verses 1 through 10 and then he says now watch this he says because of that vertical relationship all other relationships can work because this one works See, in other words, people, listen, we live in a hostile world. It's only a match of tension before somebody lights a fuse in a relationship. Our, go- our government is divided, people in our country are divided, and our problem, listen carefully, our problem in America is verses 1 through 10. Because we haven't made it right with God and been reconciled to God, we can't expect horizontal relationships to be right. We're trying to manufacture, we're trying to make them right, we're saying, you know, vote like me and act like me and look like me and get in my cultural context and the Bible says you get in unity with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit, and then you could be unified together. Now, that's what the Scripture is going to talk about today. So I'm going to say some things. I'm probably going to get some emails. But, you know, it's okay. I just hit the delete button on Tuesday, a uh, Monday morning, and, and it, I just ask the Lord to forgive me. It doesn't bother me one bit. So here's what the text says. Look at it. Travel with me. We we talked about how last week we ended up that we are God's workmanship because of his work in us, what Christ has done for us. And then he says, this is amazing, verse 11, therefore remember, I want you to remember. The remember is in the imperative form. It means I want to make sure that you remember where you came from because he's talking about Gentiles and Jews that were brought near by his blood, that were one new man, were one church. He says, therefore remember that you... Once Gentiles in the flesh, Gentiles and Jews, Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hand. So you've got Jews and Gentiles. Uh, Jews were known by their circumcised. They were circumcised. So there was an external mark on them about the covenantal promise that God gave through Abraham, blessed his children, and I'm going to bless the nations through you. The Gentiles were outsiders looking in, all right? So we weren't heirs of the covenant promise of God and and what was promised to the Jews. However, because of Christ, he brings both groups together and he says this. So he says, you were looking out, verse 12, that at the time you were without Christ, here's five marks for those of us that are Gentiles, and that would be most people in this room, uh, that at that time you were without Christ, that's mark number one, being aliens. In other words, you were driving on the wrong side of the road, you couldn't help it from the Commonwealth of Israel And strangers from the covenants of promise, here it is, having no hope and without God. That's what he's saying. This is what we need to remember. We need to remember what it was like to be without Christ, to be without hope, to be aliens, because if you can remember what it used to be like when you didn't have Christ, you really appreciate it when Christ comes into your life and you resonate with that, but it goes back to you don't live in the past, but you acknowledge where you came from so that you can be thankful for the great in the future so that's what he's talking about in verses 11 and 12 and then he says this is a huge statement it's a transition statement but now you remember in verse 4 when he said but God you remember Paul took us out of chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 and he said all these bad things that we were living in Death Valley that we were separated from God we were disobedient we lived in our sins and he said but God well now he's going to say but now They kind of go together, but now, you were outside, but now, you can be an insider. You see, you're either an outsider this morning, or you're an insider. You're either without hope this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you're empty inside, or you're an insider that has hope, and you have trusted Christ as your Savior, and Paul turns the switch in verse 13, this is beautiful, look what he lays out. This is so important. He says this, but now in Christ Jesus, how many times have we seen the phrase in Christ Jesus, in him? 12 to 14 times already in chapters 1 and 2. And I want to hit it one more time. I know I'm meddling and I know I've given you every illustration I can give you on being in Christ. But I want to give you one more so that we make sure that we understand it. When you get into a hot tub, you know how when it's hot, and you're, you're kind of thinking, when I step in, I've got to ease myself in, and we're kind of hesitant to get in the hot tub, but when that water is boiling hot, it's, it's, it's really too hot. You're trying to turn it down, so we're not in the tub yet, but when we start moving toward that, we step our foot in, we step our leg in, we get in, and the water then gives in to the warmth of our body, and our body gives in to the warmth of the water, and then we slowly immerse ourselves into that hot tub. So Christ in us, Christ in us, we've been immersed into him, we are one with him, we are unified with him, and he is in us. So that's what Paul's saying. One more time in verse 13. For those of us that were far away, he says, but now, look at the text, in Christ... You who were once, watch the text, far off have been brought near, don't miss these words, by what? The blood of Christ. You who were far off, we as Gentiles were far off, we were far away from God. Now the interesting thing about the text here is when he says you've been brought near, it's in the passive form, and what that simply means is this, God brought you near. You didn't bring yourself near. You didn't decide, oh, I'm going to bring myself near to God. No, he brought you near. Salvation is his work in your life and in my life. Yes, we cooperate with it. Yes, we say by faith yes to him and by grace yes to him. But he's the one who brought us far off. So what you have are these Jews who, understanding they have the covenantal promises of God, and, and they, are, they are looking for the Messiah, they are promised of the coming of the Messiah, but here's the thing, the Messiah has come, and they're still looking for him. So whether you're Jew or Gentile, you both need Jesus Christ as your Savior. But what Paul is saying, I am bringing those of you who are far away from God, near to God, by one simple act, the cross of Jesus Christ. Look what the text says. Draw near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So we're as far off spatially as you could possibly be. We're far off from God spatially. He uses spatial imagery here. We're far off from God relationally. All of our relationships are messed up. But he says, through Jesus Christ, but now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. In other words, that God has saved you through Jesus Christ. You've been brought near. I remember when the Astros played at the Astrodome. I used to go on dollar night my dad would take me, we'd sit in the center field seat. Cesar Cedeno was a center fielder, and we would yell at him. But it was dollar dog or dollar night or something like that, get free bats for the first 1500s. And we were far, far away from all the players and all the field. But people began to leave at the third inning, so what we did is we decided those of us who were far off from the field, from the game, We decided to work our way down because we noticed that people were leaving that had really good seats on the front. So they paid high dollar for those seats. We didn't pay high dollar but we were far off who were brought near. You get the concept? We are far off from God. We're not even looking for God. He is a distance from us. And then because of the blood of Jesus, watch this, he draws us near by the simple act of his saving grace on the cross. By one act we are brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. So now we can say we're family. And once we come near to God, listen, this is important to understand, you can't get any nearer to God than you are right now in Jesus Christ. You can't get any nearer than that. You say, but we're to grow spiritually. I understand that. We grow spiritually. Spiritually but you're not getting any nearer to God than you are right now if you know Jesus is your Savior because how close is Jesus to the Father? They're one. They're united together and we are united in Christ. Do you understand what Paul's saying here? You as a grace gift have been brought near, not in your own strength, but in His strength and in His power. God is not holding you at a distance. God is saying, I love you. I value you. I care for you. Come sit with me. Come dine with me. Come talk to me. Freeman, people will hold you at a distance, but I have brought you near to God through my shed blood. Listen, you can't get any nearer to God than you are right now through the relationship that you have with Jesus Christ. Just like you can't be any more a real Christian than you are a Christian right now. Do you understand that? And then if you think about, well, I need to have more access to God. You can't have any more access to God than you have right now because you have all access to God. Through Jesus Christ, you've been brought near. I've been brought near. You tell me that this is a religion? It is not a religion. It is a relationship. And God did it. And he did it by his son. And his son said, I want to value you. And he doesn't hold us at a distance. Isn't that what people do? Hey, don't get too close to me. People hold us at a distance. God doesn't hold us at a distance and say, okay, now you're doing good. I want you to come al- Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're not doing very well now in your walk. You're stumbling. You're falling. Let me push you back. That's not the God that we serve. That's not the God of the Bible. God says, you come. Everybody come to me. Come, all you who are heavy burdened and laden, and I'll give you rest. You come to me. So this is a huge statement in Scripture. And he talks about the how the Jew... I had that relationship and that covenantal relationship, and it was done by circumcision. And so that external, and God says, but you Gentiles, I brought you together as one. And so what would happen is the Gentiles would have in the temple, it would be called the outer court of the Gentile. A Gentile could only come to a certain position in the outer court. Then you had the court of the women, they could get a little closer, and then the court of the priests, and then the court of the high priest. but the Gentiles had to stay over here. And if you crossed over that wall or that partition, they would take you outside the city and kill you, because Gentiles can go no further. However, because of Jesus, he says all walls are torn down everything's been reconciled unto me. You come near to me. You draw near to me. The veil of the temple has been ripped from top to bottom because what used to hold you out of a relationship to me and the presence that you could experience only when you went into the temple, now I live in you. And I'm the living temple in you. And you can experience my presence. Those of you who were far off, anybody who was far off like me, we've been drawn near to him. And that's a beautiful thing, and you've got to catch this in the text. It's a beautiful thing. So that's what Paul says here. He's talking about the very moment when we trust Christ as your Savior. So then he goes on to verse 14. Notice what the text is. Now, the word for is a connecting word. It's it's an assertion, if you will, into the text. Connecting assertion. And he says, why have you been brought near? What's the reason that's bringing us near to God? Through the relationship that we can have with Jesus Christ. What's the reason for this? Well, he says here, "...for he himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation." See, all these walls divided the, the Jews from the Gentiles. You could go into the temple. You could go into the synagogue. If you went into the synagogue, the synagogue was separated. The men sat over here. The women sat over here. And then there was an area called uh, the proselyte. If you wanted to be, you were Gentile and you wanted to become a part of ancient Judaism or the Jewish faith, that the, you would go see a rabbi, and the rabbi could tell you whether you could or couldn't. He could open the door or shut the door. Do you see what Jesus has done? There's no, op- there's, there's no shut doors. All doors are open. And he says he's made both Jew and Gentile. He's made us one. He's unified us in the gospel. And here's how he's unified us. Look at the text. I'm not making it up. For he himself is our peace. He is our peace. Our peace is in a relationship. Our peace is with him. Our peace is a relationship that's been afforded to us. And peace is not the absence of hostility, Peace is wholeness. It's relational peace. These two groups that were so divided have been brought together by his peace, it says. It says, for he himself is our peace. Picture this in a courtroom. People go to courtrooms all the time so they can have peace. And they're Men that go and women that go and they're divided in whatever situation they're divided on. Maybe it's a divorce settlement or maybe it's a a brother and a brother or a sister and a sister and they try to get you in a courtroom and they try to get you to sign a document and they try to say, you know, if you sign this document, this will bring peace. This will bring harmony to the hostility. And so here's what we've learned, right, from our society. Documents don't bring peace and people don't bring peace. Let me tell you what brings peace. It's the prince of peace who brings peace. And when you trust King Jesus as your savior and he himself is your peace, then you will find when you go to the courtroom, if you can take this picture here, this imagery, this spatial imagery, if you will, when you're there and let's say that you're a brother and, and then you got another brother and a sister there and y'all are working on this will and you're trying to get things divided and they say, and, the, and the judge says, just get along, sign the document. But in walks your mother, and your mother is a peacemaker. And in walks your mother, and your mother says, can we not just get along? And here's what happened. The object of peace that was trying to happen between two people right here, all of a sudden she became the centrality of the peace, and you signed the document, and your brother or sister signed the document because She is the peacemaker, and if you can get to the peacemaker, you can have peace. What Paul is saying to us is Jesus Christ brings peace. It's a relationship. Peace is a person. It is not a ritual. It is a person. So Jesus unites us, and because Jesus is stronger than anything that would ever divide us in our lives, he is our peace, and he is the one who brings us from far off to near because he is our peace. Wow, that's an amazing thing. So in ancient Judaism, you know, it was about separation, not integration. It was about, you know, you're separated by this wall and this partition and this wall, and if you climb over this wall, uh, you know, you'll you'll experience death, and it's kind of like the Berlin Wall, the east side and the west side were divided, and if you crossed over, you'd lose your life. Because people can't bring peace. Situations can't bring peace. But the text says, for he, look at the text, he himself is our peace who has made, look at the text, made both one. Only God can do this. Only Jesus Christ can do this. And has broken down the middle wall of separation so that both can be one. You can't be one if you're still two. Now here's what Paul says. There's not two. There's not Jew and Gentile. This is One man, one new man, and one new church that God is forming. And it's Jew and Gentile coming together under the banner of Christ, not under Judaism or not under being a Gentile, but being one in Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you something about what the text says here. So he's talking about, he has broken down the middle wall of separation. There's a lot of talk about walls these days, isn't there? You think about our political panorama of conversations that we have about walls. And, you know, I think sometimes th- those, those talks in the walls filter into the church. And so we put up walls in the church, invisible walls, like this group is over here and this group is over here and this group is over here. You know, one of the most favorite services that I have been at at Sagemont was around last November when we uh, had the family service in here and we served the Lord's Supper together in here. And we had the Hispanic service, the Spanish service was over here. In both services, we had people from all different services, all different nationalities and backgrounds leading the services because we didn't say, oh, this is your service and this is your service. And No, we all came together under the banner of us being made one in Jesus Christ and so here's what I'm afraid of I'm afraid that all of us have become safe on whatever side of the wall that we're on we're real safe in our our cultural context and we don't want to cross over to the other side of the wall and be friends with anybody else but let me tell you what Jesus Christ does is he makes us one so it's real safe on this side of the wall but when Jesus knocks down the barriers and says he breaks everything down and makes us one then it's real safe when you're safe with him and when you're safe with him you love all people regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of their background, and there is no black church, there is no white church, there is no asian church, there is no hispanic church. There's only one church, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the church. And listen, we should be thankful here at Sagemont. You could just look in this auditorium and see the cultural diversity that we have. And we didn't tell you when you came in, now we want you to sign something because we just want you to get along today with everybody in this room. We didn't have you sign anything. We just tell you, have a relationship with the Prince of Peace and he brings us together and unites us and there is nothing that is stronger than Jesus. And so if there's nothing that's stronger than Jesus and he unites us, nothing can divide us. But we like to get with people who talk like us, act like us, vote like us, hide like us, do all these things like us. Listen, it's maybe time that we opened up the fence a little wider and said, hey, listen, we're all in this thing together. And Paul says, it's one man, it's one church, it's under me. Now, look at the text says. Let me give you an illustration of that before I go on. So, when I was pastor in Tennessee, and this is the deep south, This is where if you roll your window down, legalism will come in your car. I'm serious. I just had to keep it up for grace. I said, God, don't even let me. I didn't even have air conditioning. I said, Lord, let me die in here with grace rather than open that window and let anything come in here that's not of you. Uh, So anyway, I became became really good friends with African-American pastors I became super-duper good friends with the Methodist pastor down the street. We shared pulpits. Uh, I had African-American pastors come and preach in my pulpit. I preached in their churches. Do you know that my sermon lasted twice as long in their church as it does here? Man, the deacons, they start working their way up to the pastor during the message. I thought they were going to take me out. Security would have a fit. But they were there supporting me in the message. And they said, just slow down. Just slow down because we want to get our amens in. I said, you're going to have to speed up. I don't do a slow-down class. But here's what happened. It was time for us to make a decision in our, uh, in our church whether we would host the MLK celebration. And I had people and emails and people coming up to me and giving me their opinions on what they thought that we should do. And my answer was, when the committee came to me and says, well, you have the facility that could hold all of us, uh, we'd like to do it. And I started thinking about this passage. One new man, one church. I said, my answer is yes. I said, however... I want to know who's going to speak the message because I feel like I have a responsibility if I'm going to turn the pulpit over to another pastor. If I don't know him and he's going to teach about things that are just good thoughts and make you feel good stuff, that's not what I'm interested in. I want somebody that's going to bring the word and tie all the sharing together with Christ. Because if we're going to be unified, it's not going to be that day, it's going to be the day Christ comes into our life and he unifies us. So this pastor, I got his phone number, he was coming from Nashville, and uh, I've never met him in my life. Met him, and he was a wonderful man for the life of me. I'm having a senior moment, cannot remember his name. But I'm telling you, he preached a message that was incredible I was kind of sitting in the balcony because it was full and you know where I would take this and and do this he would preach and he would uh, make a point and he pulled out a towel he had a a towel that you would wash a car with and when he'd make a point he would go like this over the top of the pew because we had pews he'd come down off the platform and go like this and he would just meddle a little bit like that and I thought to myself in that church in uh, in Tennessee at at a First Baptist church where there are people that would probably have an issue with all of us being together I thought what a statement for this African American pastor, me as the pastor other pastors in the community saying hey let's just come together under one banner and let's just present Jesus Christ to the whole world and this not stay in our safe cultural context that tell us I can't fellowship with you and you can't fellowship with me, we're one church and he himself is our peace so we did that and oh believe me sometimes I just delete the emails it's okay well, we didn't vote on that. Well, we don't vote on things that God's already voted on and said yes to. Thank you very much. I appreciate the comment. <laughs> this will probably be my last sermon, but I've enjoyed serving you. <laughs> but it gets better in the text, I promise you. Um, it gets better in the text. Now, here's what he says. Verse 15. So this wall of separation, it's been, it's been dropped because of Christ. There's no distinction except the distinction in him. We are belong to him. And then he says, not only did Christ do that, but he's abolished in his flesh, that's on the cross, the enmity, the hostility, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to create, look at this, in himself One new man from the two, thus making peace. Is that not an incredible statement? The text says that he came to abolish, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of the commandments. So what you would have is you would have the moral law, uh, that would be like the Ten Commandments, and the moral law is what condemns us. But if you know scripture, the law is just a mirror. The, The law is given so that when we see the law, we know, oh, we can't keep the law. There's no way we can keep the law. We have impure thoughts. We can't keep the law on our best day. So the law is just a mirror to show us our sin. And then sin, Romans says, is stirred up by the strength of the law. So the law is to show us that we can't keep the law. Watch this. But there is one who kept the law perfectly, it was Jesus Christ. He fulfilled the law, so when I trust Christ as my Savior, I have just fulfilled the law in the fact that I have Him living in me, so the perfect one has fulfilled the law. Therefore, you can say I have fulfilled the law, not by keeping up the ledger and the this and the that and the do's and the don'ts, But I have kept the law because of him, because he kept the law and I put my faith in him. So he talks about abolishing, and abolish here means to put out of business. That's what the word means in the Greek. It means to put out of business. And so there were like 613 ceremonial laws that that the Jews had to keep, and this law and that law. So, So he talks about that Jesus put those out of business because he put the law of love in our hearts when we trusted him. He put the law of grace and the law of mercy in our hearts so that we are motivated. Motivated by mercy and love, and he came to put out of business the law uh, uh, of God because the law of God, we can't keep it, so therefore he kept it, and therefore when I trust him, then that can be abolished. It's no longer uh, primary in my life. It's put out of business. It's set to the side. So the law is a transition point for me and you to get home. Let me explain it like this. If you fly cheaptickets.com, you're not going to get a one-way flight somewhere you're going to have a lot of stopover flights. I know this because I am cheap. And if I'm coming back from Houston, but I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico, there's a good chance I'm going to have a stopover place in Dallas or somewhere else. And when the plane pulls into Dallas, it's not home for me. But I get off the plane just like everybody else gets off the plane. I just don't go catch the car to go home because I'm not home yet, but that Dallas airport was a necessary stop for me to make a transition to go from this plane to go over to that plane so that I could get home. What you want to do is you want to look at the law as a necessary stopover and transition point. It's not home for you, but it's a necessary stop along the way to get you home to Jesus Christ. So the law is to show you you can't keep the law. And so that's the beautiful thing about a relationship with Jesus. And here's what he says here, that the law of the commandments contained in the ordinances so as to create in himself one new man. One new man. Not an old man, not redoing an old man, but one new man. So this word for new here means uh, new in kind, not new in time. If something was new in time, um, it would be like the latest MacBook Pro or the latest Apple product, which is constantly, you're constantly spending money if you have an Apple product or a computer or an iPad because you have to get the next best thing. So that would be something that would be new, but it would be in time. But this word here is new as in kind. In other words, the world has never seen anything like this one new man, the one new man that jesus creates and he creates it in himself by his blood not jew not gentile but one new man who is immersed into him in a relationship with him so it's not an old man it's a new man so when you come into a relationship with jesus christ catch this when you come into relationship with jesus christ you you are new in him old things are passed away and behold everything becomes new now you can't live by the principles of the old kingdom The old kingdom you used to steal. You used to cheat on your income taxes. This is just a word for some of you. But now you're a new man. So we no longer cheat on our income taxes. We do things with honesty and integrity. Why? Because we live to another set of rules. We're not in the old kingdom anymore. So we have a whole new set of rules. If I worked for IBM and Apple hired me, I am no longer able to be loyal to IBM, my new authority, my new kingdom of principle and operation and manual is Apple because that's my new team. So when you think about what Jesus has done, I want you to see it here. He creates in himself one new man, all of us in Jesus Christ united together in the oneness of him. The world has never seen someone with the newness that we have because we have Christ living in us. We, the song we sang about the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit. Think about this. You have God the Father who had the plan. God the Son who procured the plan by going to the cross and dying for our sins. And when we received him by faith, you now have the Holy Spirit living in your life. And he creates one new man. There's no Jew, there's no Gentile, there's no Hispanic, there's no white, there's no black, there's no Asian. It's just one man. And if you're here today and you feel hopeless and you feel helpless and you say, I feel like I'm empty, I can tell you this for sure. If you will trust Christ as your savior, if you will bow before him and trust his life, trust his death, burial, and resurrection, you can become another new man in him. It's a, it's a new life that you have in him. And it's one that brings peace in your life. That's verse 15. And then he says, look at verse 16. And that he might reconcile them, Jew and Gentile, both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity. So the word reconcile means to alter. Uh, It means to clear a path. So here's what I want you to see. There was a path from us to God that was blocked. And sin was the blocker. And so through Jesus Christ, he cleared the debris so that you and I could get to God the Father through God the Son. So he reconciled us to God. And once you're reconciled to God, guess what God does? He begins to reconcile you to people who you were at disharmony with and disunity with. He harmonizes people because of the gospel, not because you're so great, but because he's so great. And that's what the word reconcile means. So the sins that we can't forget in our mind, God doesn't remember because of Jesus Christ. Some of you are letting some sins haunt you in your mind. You just can't forget about those. Let me tell you what. God says, I don't remember them anymore because of Jesus Christ and what he's done. He forgave you. He came into your heart. He made you a new man. I look, when I look at you, I run straight into Jesus. And when I see Jesus, I see pureness and I see holiness and I see righteousness. And Freeman, although you may not be acting like that today, that's how I see you. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. That's who he is, reconciled us. He reconciled us to God. And look at the text, it says this, verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, that's us, and to those who were near. See, he preached peace to, peace to both groups. And so what we have to understand is that relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. We think Christianity is just this little box that we've created for the people that we think should come in. And here's what I know. God, God has widened the fence. He said, anybody who wants to come can come. Whosoever will may come. My blood was shed for the sins of the whole world. I love everybody, everybody all the time to the uttermost. And if people will come to me, the fence is wide enough. I heard a story about a Catholic priest um, was asked in World War II. There were some men who were wanting to uh, bury their comrade. He was killed. And they went to a Catholic priest. And they asked the Catholic priest, they said, we would like to bury our comrade inside the fence. And the Catholic priest said, well, is he of the Catholic faith? And the man said, no, he's not. He said, well, I just really can't let you bury him inside the fence. And so what happened, that's all he said. So the men that night buried their friend on the outside of the fence. And you could see where they buried him, and here's the fence. They couldn't do it inside the fence because there was some law, there was some commandment, there was some ritual, there was some legalism. And so the next day, they went to just pay last regards to their friend. And when they went to look outside the fence, his body wasn't there. They could not locate where they had buried him the night before. So they went into the Catholic priest, and they said, Sir, is there? can you tell us what happened to our friend? He said, Yes, I can tell you what happened to your friend. I was up half the night. And I couldn't get off my mind the answer that I gave you. And I said to you, no, you can't. He said it bothered me so much that the other half of the night I dug a hole and I moved your friend from outside the fence to inside the fence so that I could be in harmony and relationship with you. Can I tell you something? If you take that picture, that's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us. The walls and the fences that we've put up that says these people shouldn't get in, God says anybody can come. I'm widening the fence to anybody. Whosoever will may come. If you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ, it doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your past is. What matters is that you today walk out of here trusting Jesus as your personal Savior and have everything become new in your life that's what matters today the fence is wide enough for you it doesn't matter what your background is it doesn't matter what denomination you're a part of because Jesus is not about a denomination now notice what the text says now we're coming home with this and when I say I'm coming home with this it doesn't really mean what I say now I'm going to say it, it actually does so he took all of us who were far off and drew us near verse 18 and I'll close with this for through him through him. The word through is a connecting point. It's the word via. It means there's a conduit. For through him, through Jesus Christ, we both, look at the text, have access by one spirit to the Father. Oh, you're kidding me. You're telling me I can worship Anywhere I want to worship with believers who may not look like me, may not act like me, may may not talk like me, but we have direct access to the Father because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And the answer is absolutely yes. Because of him, because of what he's done for us, we have access. The word access means an entryway. It means a doorway. So when you trust Christ as your Savior and you believe in the gospel, the death death, burial and the resurrection of Jesus, then you and I both have access to the same father by one spirit. Not a lot of spirits, by one spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Let me see if I can close by explaining it this way to you in a courtroom appearance. You see, the Bible says that that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. So when you die, the Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. So let's have a courtroom appearance here. So you've got the accuser of the brethren over here. So the devil's going to bring up everything he's got on you, right? And here's what the devil's going to say. He's going to say about me. He's going to say about you. He's going he's to level one charge to God who is the judge. He's going to level one charge and he's going to say, they did it. That's what he's going to say. In other words, we're all guilty. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. So the only charge that the devil's going to level against us is he did it. Now, I'm so sick and tired of people thinking like they didn't do it. Like there's some people running around churches that are like, well, I didn't do that. Do what? Do that. Listen, we all did it. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We are all guilty before God. So that would be um, the prosecuting attorney would say to God the Father who is the judge, he did it. Now watch this. But on the other side is my lawyer, the defense attorney, Jesus Christ. Think about that. So there's the accuser of the brethren. Here is the son, Jesus Christ. Now let me tell you something about this courtroom. It's rigged. Because the the judge, that's his son right there. This is a kangaroo court. Do you understand that? This thing's rigged. And so the only thing that the devil says is, Freeman did it. Freeman sinned. And God the Father says, you're exactly right. And, and then I turn to my defense attorney, and I turn to my lawyer, and, and, and the judge says, well, how does he plead? And, the, and here's what Jesus says. Guilty. Whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought you were on my side. No, you're guilty. So not only did I sin, but Jesus knows that I'm guilty of my sin. However... Jesus has the last word. He says to the father, the son of the judge, says to the father, he says to the father, but Freeman is guilty. But one day, Freeman placed his faith and trust into me. So therefore, all of his guilt and all of his sin and all of his pain and all of his disappointment was shouldered by me. And I walked to a cross on Calvary and I gave my life so that he could have direct access to you, Father, but I gave my life for him, and they buried me, and it was all day Friday, and it was all day Friday that I stayed in that grave, and all day Saturday, and all day Saturday night, and then on Sunday morning, you know what the story's like, on Sunday morning, I came out of that grave, and I'm alive, and so Jesus says to the Father, yes, he was guilty, Freeman was guilty, the devil is right, he's the accuser of the brethren, Freeman did it, but Jesus says he did it, however, I paid for the price, I paid a one-time payment on a cross called Calvary, so that Freeman could go free from his sin and live forevermore in eternity with me, all because of what I did for him, not what he did for himself. Now I have access to the Father because of the Son. I don't deserve it. Some of you here don't have any access. Man, you're beating yourself up today. You're killing yourself. You do something wrong and you just kick yourself and beat yourself. God, why do I do this? I just keep going through the same sin over and over and over again. Listen, it's about the Savior. It's about yielding to the Son of God. If you'll just acknowledge like I did when I was a young boy, I am guilty. I have sinned. But I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And when he said he forgave me, I believe what he said. And I'm going free today. Some of you in the, this morning can trust Christ as your Savior. You know, it, it, it doesn't get old watching baptism, does it? But listen to me, baptism doesn't save you. You can get baptized till you sprout thins, and you can still go to hell. There's another email. <laughs> but listen, when you get saved by trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior, Paul says the oneness that comes... And you have access by one spirit to the Father. That can be you today. All you have to do is bow and repent in your heart where you are and say, Jesus, save me. Save me today because you're guilty and I'm guilty. But by grace, we've been saved through faith. And if you'll just turn to Jesus today and say, Jesus, wash me clean. I'm tired of fighting this battle on my own. I've got this addiction. I've got this sin. Listen, if you'll give your heart to Jesus, I'm not telling you you won't still struggle. I'm telling you when you struggle, you'll now have a new power. It's not your power now, it's his power. And sin is when Jesus overcomes you. So that thing that was nailing you and keeps nailing you, you can be free from because of his power. When he overcomes you, then you can overcome the sin because he overcame you. And he's got an overcoming power in his life. But it all starts by... saying yes to the son so you can have access would you bow your head and pray with me just as we close our time as the band plays this is one of those passages that is very challenging yet very simple because Paul talks about so beautifully how in God himself he creates one new man I'm talking to someone today that you really know that you're without hope. You're an alien to God. You're a stranger to God. There's, there's no life of God in you. So therefore, there can be no life of God flowing through you. But you can understand today that you're a sinner and that you are bankrupt without God in your life. And that God, through Jesus Christ, has already paid the price for your sin. So that if you, by faith, this morning, would say to Jesus a prayer like this. Say, dear Jesus, I know I don't have access to you because I've never bowed before you. But this morning, I want to bow before you in my heart. And I want you to come in this old man this person of mine the one that has sinned the one that has is guilty of sin guilty of running with sin and letting sin dominate me but lord jesus christ today i put a marker in the ground and a stake in the ground that says no longer am i going to be a slave to sin But I'm going to be a slave to righteousness because I'm going to trust you in this moment to come into my heart. Would you just do that where you are? Would you say, Jesus, come into my heart and save me? Save me. I'm a sinner. Save me. God, I want access to you. And I can't do it on my own works. I have to be granted a gift because I am so far off from you, as the text says. But right now, you're drawing me near. When you receive Him in this moment, He gives you new life and new hope and a new heart. He doesn't patch you up. And this could be the first day of the greatest day of your life. That's many of you in this room. We would ask you to go to the Connection Center as soon as we dismiss our service, which is through these exits. As you leave here, go out the doors, turn inward. There's a glass enclosure there where people are there to pray with you, encourage you. Maybe you need to follow through in baptism. You were encouraged by these baptisms. You realize, hey, not only am I not saved, I've never been baptized. You can, you can be saved and baptized. You can already know Christ as your Savior and then say, today I'm taking that step of obedience and baptism. Maybe you're interested in being a part of this body. They'll help you in the connection room. But the most important thing is when you leave here that you don't have any doubts about your salvation. If you were to die today, Are you 100% sure that you know you would spend eternity with Jesus based on what he's done and what we've taught in this text? If you're not, you can be 100% before you leave. You can know for sure in whom you believe. So, Father, would you do a work in our lives for those of us that have trusted you as Savior. Remind us in this text, let us be walking unifiers, not only in our church, not only in our community, but in government, in schools, at work, everywhere that we go, may we be a unifier, not a divider, because the all unity lives in us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do a work in us. Continue to build integrity into our lives. We love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.